0: Welcome to Truth Matters Church. Connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. Today we hear part two of our study in Daniel's 70th week prophecy, the seven-year period in the future where most of the events in Revelation take place. We know the first 69 weeks of years were completed around the time of Christ's death on the cross. But what happened to the final week of years, the 70th week? Today, Pastor Alex uses examples found in Scripture to help guide us to a better understanding of why so many years have passed, and, if possible, to determine when that final seven years may come to an end. To get the most from today's message, please download the handout for this study at truthmatterschurch.org slash resources. Here is Pastor Alex Kataroja. Okay, verse 27
1: is packed. We're going to get to the grand finale, but we have to do justice with the entire vision, but we will get to the 70th week. Okay, where is it? What happened? When or at least when is the end of it? And we will do our best using the scripture to get to that answer. So just stay with me for verse 27. This one is packed, so we're going to try to unpack this. Let's read verse 27 one more time. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So in verse 27, when it says, and he will make a firm covenant, he is the prince who is to come. That's not Messiah. It's not Yahweh's Messiah. When it says he will make a firm covenant with the many, it's the prince who is to come who is not Yahweh's Messiah. It's another prince or a king. And he's going to make a firm covenant with the many. We're going to look at that. And it says for one week, we'll look at that. And in the middle of the week, we'll look at that. He's going to put a stop to sacrifice and get grain offering. We'll look at that. On the wing of abominations, we'll look at that. And we'll come one. We'll look at that. And then we'll put it all together. But we have to look at it. In part, so that we can see the whole. So let's look at make a firm covenant with the many. So make a firm covenant is the Gabar Berith, which means to prevail and become mighty through a treaty, an alliance, or an agreement. So when it says, "we'll make a firm covenant this prince who is to come, not Yahweh's Messiah, this other prince, he's going to prevail and become great and mighty through a treaty, through an alliance, and through an agreement. And it says Daniel alludes, and we're not going to get to chapters 11, uh, 10, 11, and 12, but when we get to the study of the book of Revelation and it takes us there, then we'll go there. Um, But as I mentioned, this is our last study of the book of Daniel. But Daniel does allude to a holy covenant in chapter 11. And that holy covenant in chapter 11, it includes, it says, the king of the south. And that, just letting you know, that's ancient Ethiopia or present-day Egypt or Libya. And the king of the north, which is ancient Assyria or present-day Israel and Lebanon So this Holy Covenant will include multiple nations, and if you were to include the geography of it, where it was ancient times and where it is today, it implicates Egypt, Libya, Israel, and Lebanon. So whoever this prince who is to come and is going to make a treaty will at least include those nations. I do want to say when it says he will make a firm covenant with the many, and it talks about the Holy Covenant In Daniel 11. And just, you know, I've listened to Daniel over and over, probably a few dozen times. And I wouldn't have gleaned this had it not been just continued to be bombarded and and pounded into me, if you will. But know that the holy covenant that is spoken of in Daniel 11 is not the holy covenant between Yahweh and the people of Israel, there's another covenant that's going to be entered by neighboring nations. So don't confuse, when you see Holy Covenant, don't assume that that is referring to the Holy Covenant between Yahweh and Israel. It is not, and had it it not been completely, just been saturated in Daniel all those times, I probably would have missed that. But don't make that assumption. So now let's look at, but it says, but in the middle of the week... The prince who is to come, who became great and mighty through this holy covenant, this prophecy says he renegated on that covenant in the middle of the week, which would be the three and a half year mark. Remember, when about, we're talking about prophecy here. A week is seven years. So in the middle of this seven year period, then this prince who is to come will renegade on that covenant that was entered with, with multiple nations, including Israel, at the three and a half year mark. And it says, He, it's still speaking about this prince who is to come, not Yahweh's Messiah. It says, We'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So during the middle of that week, the prince who is to come, it says, We'll put a stop, we'll Shabbat. He's gonna, let me use a familiar term, cease and desist. We hear that term, especially with some businesses who might be breaking the law or some sort of regulation. They issue a cease and desist. You must stop now. So on this three and a half year point, there's going to be this cease and desist from this prince who is to come. And it says sacrifice. He'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. That's the Sabak mincha. And it means, it describes partaking in an animal sacrifice and tribute. And I do want to make a comment here our English translation that says he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. You know, I just want to say that grain was a subjective insertion. Grain is not necessarily in the text. Now, it could mean grain, but what happens is when you, especially when you get to the different translations and different committees, sometimes you bring your biases and insert it into the text. It doesn't make it a false truth but just know that that grain it was not necessarily in the original it is the sabak mincha and it refers to an animal sacrifice and tribute and it could include just an animal sacrifice and then and the and the offering could just be the blood of the offering as well doesn't necessarily mean that there's a full-on grain offering going on in addition to the blood and animal sacrifice So I just want to call that out. But nonetheless, the telltale sign that the prince who is to come in this prophecy will become great through a holy covenant between multiple nations, including Israel, and in the middle of that covenant, he will issue a cease and desist order against animal sacrifices being performed. And are you ready to look at on the wing of abominations? The wing of abominations is the kanaf shikutz kanaf means it's the edge of one's wing or wingspan so the kanaf if someone's wings were out it would be the edge of the wing it could also mean the corner of a garment depending on context but it also can mean to overtake swiftly didn't we cover this in one of the studies and the four beasts you know the the lion with eagle's wings and even the, the the leopard with four heads and four wings of a bird and we talked a little bit about how that, how that can be a picture of being overtaken swiftly. Uh, Strikutz means a detestable thing, that which is blasphemous, an abomination, an idol. So here's a possible clue about this prince who is to come. The abomination that causes desolation could very well be an idol with eagle's wings, like the mercy seat you to see a picture of the mercy seat you had the cherubim with their, ing, their wings kind of going forward over the mercy seat so the abomination could very well be an idol with eagle's wings kind of like the mercy seat or something you know yeah, something something like it and it's just something to keep in the back of our mind as we continue in our study of end times prophecy and i do want to make a comment here on the phrase will come one Let me read that again. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Here's what I want to caution us to. You know when we read Scripture, in this case, let's say verse 27, it's assumed that there's no time gap. Let's not assume which means it is assumed that the one who puts a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, let's call him, you know, the prince who is to come, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, let's call him the desolator. There is an assumption that we're talking about the same person the whole time. There's no time gap. I want to say, now, is that plausible? It's plausible that it could be talking about the same person. But I also want to tell you, that it also could mean two different people, meaning the prince who is to come that's described in this prophecy is not the one who will come and make desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So I'm just saying that because as we continue to study the book of Revelation, when you read a verse or you read a passage, don't assume that because it's in this verse, there's no time gap. And I'm going to give you one example. In Matthew 24, the familiar Olivet Discourse, giving, uh, when Christ gave the details concerning his, rep- his return, if you were to read verses 30 and 31, when He talked about the sign of the Son of Man in, in, this, in the sky, you know, after the great tribulation of those days, and then in verse 31, it says, then He will send out His angels with a great trumpet, and that also has allusions uh, or talks about the rapture when you read verse 30 and verse 31 it looks like it's happening all at once but as we will see when we study the book of revelation there's at least a three and a half year gap between verse 30 and verse 31 between the sign in, in the sky of the son of man and then the rapture there's at least three and a half years in between. But yet, when you're reading Matthew 24, it just says it right after the other. So, there, so don't assume there's no time gap, is my point. And also in verse 27, when it talks about the prince who is to come, and then it says, on the wing of abominations will come one, that will come one doesn't necessarily mean that was the prince who is to come. It could be someone else who's going to pretty much take the baton and make a full desolation of the land and people of Israel. So just keep that option open, and we'll see where the scripture takes us. So are you ready now for the katroha amplified of verse 27? Hopefully this will make sense. And the prince who is to come during the 70th week will make a firm covenant with Israel and the neighboring nations for seven years. But at the three and a half year mark of that seven years, the prince who is to come will issue a cease and desist of the animal sacrifices and offerings connected to it. And on the wing of abominations will, will swiftly overtake Israel and erect a blasphemous idol will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction of Jerusalem, one that is decreed, is poured out On the one who makes desolate. Still a lot of words, a lot going on there. But now, now that we've done our legwork, here's a short summary of the 70 week prophecy. Daniel's 70 week prophecy is a span covering 490 years at the completion of 483 years, at the completion of the 69th week, Jerusalem as a city will be rebuilt and Yahweh's Messiah will be cut off in a covenantal ceremony. And that takes us, as I mentioned, to Passover 8030. So when that Passover 8030 was not the city of Jerusalem rebuilt and was not Yahweh's Messiah cut off in a covenantal ceremony. So the first two parts of the 69-week prophecy has been fulfilled, Passover eighty thirty. 30 There's seven years left of punishment concerning the people of Israel, and then after that we'll Their sins will be atoned for. But here's what what we also know so far. During that 70th week, that final seven years, another prince of the people will arise, will wage war, and destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary. Again, I mentioned earlier, one telltale is if there is a ruler who rises up in the Middle East and, and is the one who ends up destroying the people of Israel, the city of Jerusalem and makes them desolate and sets up an abomination, or there's an abomination of desolation that is, um, that is set up during that. That's a very good an easy telltale sign that that is during the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And at the completion of the 70th week, Yahweh's Messiah will bring Israel's sin to an end, He will make atonement for their sin, bring an everlasting righteousness, restore the holy city. Remember, it was desolate and sanctuary, and it's no longer going to be desolate. In other words, he's going to establish his kingdom in a perpetual, unending justice and righteousness. So that's a short summary of what we've captured. But here, if you're kind of following along, if the 69th week was fulfilled during Passover 30 A.D., What's seven years from there? 37 AD. So if, you're, if there was a continuation of the 70th week prophecy, then the 70th week would have been completed back in AD, 37 AD. But has Israel's sin been atoned for at AD, 37? Did Messiah establish His kingdom thereafter? No, in fact, He destroyed their God. Destroyed Israel. Jerusalem and the temple 80 70 so the mystery is the 70th week what happened to it when is it it hasn't been fulfilled yet and I guess the takeaway for us so this seven year period described in this prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet so the question is where is the 70th week my question to you is this you know did did God stop the clock at 30, 30 AD? Or did God hit pause and will arbitrarily start it up again? And I do want to make another acknowledgement here uh, for C.J. Lovick. In fact, this snip here is a pitch uh, is from you know, his video that was published. It was a- about an hour long. Now, I do want to say I don't necessarily agree with all of his eschatological points. However, in going through the material, because he used the Scripture and took a principle from Scripture, and I, and I, said, and I said this in past studies, if you're going to come at me with Scripture and, and maybe either correct me with Scripture or give me insight through Scripture, I'm all ears. If you're not coming with Scripture and you just want to say, no, Alex, X, Y, and Z, and just whatever that argument is, my ears close. But in this case, he did draw out this principle in Scripture that's supported by Scripture. So I'm going to listen. And I thought it was actually very insightful, especially as it comes to understanding what did God do after Messiah was cut off through a covenant ceremony? What happened after that? God just kind of like, you know, is he, has a yo-yo up in heaven, and is he just kind of twibbling his thumbs? Or is everything going according to God's timetable? And of course, the rhetorical answer is everything is going according to God's timetable. In fact, history is already written out. The 70th week already has a year, and it's already been determined and decreed. And um, the, just, like, just like our life has been determined by God, we can't live you know, a second more or a second, a second too short. God determined our length of days. God also determined the existence of his creation, including the present heavens and earth. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, we're going to look to scripture. We're going to look at an example of when God determined the length of time to punish Israel. And remember, the 70-week prophecy, the 490 years has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with the people of Israel. So the 70-week prophecy is about the punishment of the people of Israel for their sin and rebellion against their God. So we have to look at, okay, how did God punish them before? How did God calculate and determine the time? And that'll help us understand what happened after Messiah was cut off in that covenantal ceremony. Please try to stay with me in this. And there is one specific example in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 14. And here's the the brief context. So God instructed Moses to send men to spy out the land, and after spying the land for 40 days all except for Caleb, when they came back, they gave a bad report and it stirred up the people of Israel and they ended up grumbling against Moses and Aaron and Moses interceded on their behalf. And then God responds with his verdict. He's saying, okay, for those of you who spied out the land and didn't have faith in me, and you were afraid of the people who inhabited the land, you were faithless I'm going to show, and now you stirred up the people to speak against my spokespeople. I'm going to tell you what the verdict is for that action. So let's pick it up in verse 33. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years. So God's saying, okay, because of your faithlessness, your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpse lie in the wilderness how did he come up with 40 years according to the number of days which you spied out the land 40 days for every day you shall bear guilt a year even 40 years and you will know my opposition i the lord have spoken surely this i will do to all this evil congregation who are gathered against me in this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. So here's just kind of one prophetic truth principle. The spies spied out the land for 40 days and were faithless and ended up grumbling against God and against Moses and Aaron. God said, okay, because of your faithlessness, those 40 days, you will spend 40 years in the wilderness until all of your sons die out and not, will, and not allowed to be entered into the promised land. So here's a key. A day for a year. A day for a year. For 40 days, they were faithless and rebelled. So for 40 years, they spent in the wilderness. One day of unbelief translate to one year of punishment. and I'm going to tie this into the 70-week prophecy. The faithless spy spied out the land for 40 days, and because of their unbelief, their bad report, and for stirring up the people of Israel, God in turn punished them for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I also want to kind of see this. Just like the 70-week prophecy, there's a starting point, and there's an ending point. There's a, pun- there's a time to punish, and there's a time to forgive. And we even see that modeled by our Lord himself. He laments, he pronounces judgment for the people, but he also intercedes for them at the same time. So let's look at this. Uh, Luke 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, Jesus speaking, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would have not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes. So there's going to come an end of their punishment. When you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," so until the co- the time comes is when their punishment comes to an end, and that is in line when Israel repents. Matthew twenty-seven verses twenty-four and twenty-five, and we're all familiar with this. Right before Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified, pick it up in verse twenty-four, when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing but rather a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood be on us and our children. So the the, the unbelief of the Jews, it came to its climax by crucifying their Messiah and asking for his blood to be on them and their children. So in other words, their punishment and the blood is on their heads was a punishment that was brought upon themselves by their own words and actions but what i want what i want what i'm trying to get out of here just know there's a starting point because of unbelief and in the the case of the jews that unbelief climaxed to killing their messiah and asking for blood beyond their head and then the punishment ensues but then we also know that there's going to come a time when that will end so now let's look at this familiar verse The compassion of christ in luke 24 as he hung on the cross in the middle of two thieves but jesus was saying father forgive them the people who asked for his blood and to be to have jesus to be crucified and that his blood be on them and their children here is jesus on the cross saying father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing let me ask you a rhetorical question if the son asks the father something, will the father think about it? Say, "Oh, you know, son, let me see if you've been naughty or nice. Of course, whatever is asked of the son will be acted upon by the father. So if Jesus asked to forgive Israel's sin, he will forgive Israel's sin. And that is at the completion of their punishment, at the completion of this 70 weeks prophecy so going back, when what happened to the 70th week? Did God just stop the clock? Did he pause it and arbitrarily we'll start it up again? Here's, here's where I'm getting at. God did not just stop and pause the clock. God added time to their punishment. So after the 48three years were completed, when Messiah was cut off at the covenant ceremony. At 30 A.D., God added time to their punishment. He didn't just say, okay, well, uh, when I feel like it, I'm going to come back and, and forgive him. He goes, no, you asked for the blood of my son on the head of you and your children. So instead of saving you at A.D. 37, I'm going to push it off and add to your punishment. That's why he hasn't come yet. So how many years were added? Now, Now, stay with me. So the 70th week is a seven-year period, and if you take seven years and you multiply it by 360, a prophetic year, and I'm going to mention this again later, when you go to the pre-flood, a month is calculated as 30 days, and you can look at that just by looking at the account of Noah and the flood. The pre-flood, a month is 30 days. When you get post-flood in Daniel's vision, especially when you get into the time, times, and half a time, a month is still 30 days. When you get to the book of Revelation, a month is 30 days. And there are 12 months. So 12 times 30, there's 360. This is pre-flood, post-flood, including the book of Revelation. So you take Genesis and Revelation, a prophetic year is 360 days. So we're trying to answer the question, how much time did God add to the clock because they asked for their blood to be on their head and their children instead of embracing Messiah killed him? How much time did they add before God will put an end to their punishment? You take that seven years, period, and you multiply it by 360 days, that's 2,520 days. Okay, remember going back to Numbers, for every day of sin and rebellion corresponded to a year of punishment. So take the 25-20 days and make it 25-20 years. So Daniel's 70-week prophecy, here's where I'm getting at, and this is the grand finale. When they cut off, when Messiah was cut off through the covenant ceremony, and the Jews killed their Messiah God added 2,520 years before bringing an end to their sin. After that 2520, then Israel's punishment will be completed. Their sin will be fully atoned for. Messiah will rescue them as they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Messiah will establish his millennial kingdom also just know this, the last seven years of, uh, or the seven years of the 70th week prophecy, at the completion of that, it doesn't end right away. There's still at least 45 days, and we'll get into some of those details. But the end point of the 70-week punishment, by adding twenty-five, twenty to 80-30, will let us know when the 70th week will be. So, <laughs> It kind of tells us when's the end of the world, right? If we know when the, the, the 70th week of Daniel ends or is completed, then we know that the end, there's the, probably no more than two months after that, then Messiah will come. So, I want to make a disclaimer. I'm not trying to I'm not, I'm not date setting. I'm not claiming divine inspiration. I want to have some fun with this. So please don't sell everything and and just, this is, this is really for us. This is really for us to have fun. I'm guessing what year the, end, the world might end. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? This is the grand finale. Because, wait, doesn't the Scripture tell us that we are in the last days? Well, that was 2,000 years ago. I mean, how many, last, how many days are in these last days? And it says that He is coming soon. Is the call of the book of Revelation. Well, I'm telling you after this, it's it's pretty darn soon. So we're just gonna try to gauge when history will end and restart in this millennial kingdom. So I just want to put a disclaimer. We're gonna have fun with this, okay? Here are some kind of some table setters. Because there's differences in calendars between the Hebrew, Julian, and Gregorian calendar, and there's a solar year versus a lunar year, and we're relying on a calendar converter. The year that we land to might be off a few years. Okay? I'm not gonna be dogmatic about the year. Because there's all of these different calendars and different converters pulling from different sources. Your, your your information's only as good as the source. But it shouldn't be too far off, maybe a few years. Plus or minus, give or take. And we're as far as, okay, we're going to we're gonna have to start with we're gonna have to start somewhere, and this is where I'm <laughs> blame this on Dr. Nolan Jones if we're on or off, okay? But he dated, because we're going to add the 2520 to the decree. I'm sorry, I said earlier 8030. We're going to actually add it to the decree that was issued. And the fourth decree that was issued that had all three elements in the prophecy was the fourth decree by Artaxerxes uh, Logamanus. And that Dr. Nolan Jones did date it approximately April 2nd, 454 BC. So we're going to go to April 2nd, 454 BC. And we're going to add to the prophecy 2,520 years. We're going to be, as I mentioned, using a biblical month. A biblical month is 30 days, a biblical year is 360. And then just to support this, time, times, and half a time, as we all know, is three and a half years, or 1,260 days. It's three and a half times 360. Or when they say 42 months, is 1,260 days, or it's 42 times 30. And this is consistent with the pre-flood, post-flood, and revelation. Then we're going to multiply the years by days. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take the 2,520 years, because we're trying to get as close as possible, we're going to convert it to days. And when we convert 2,520 years by 360 days, that's 907,200 days. And we're going to add that to the prophecy. And that should take us to an idea of when the 70th week will be completed and us being on the cusp of Christ's second Coming. So did you get all that? <laughs> Listen to this again and again and again. We're almost there. If you were to take April 2nd, 454 B.C. and you were to add 907,200 days from there that was added to the punishment of Israel for their sin and rebellion and for killing Messiah, that takes us to January 24th, fourth, twenty. Ten years. Give or take a few years. Maybe we might go to 2034, 2035. This guess is only as good as the resource, so if the April 2nd, 454 BC. is not the best, but just know the principle: whenever the starting point of Daniel's 70-week prophecy began, when that clock started, go back to that and add 907,200 days. Because we're taking the principle from the book of Numbers, a day for a year principle. This isn't something that was just pulled out of thin air. So, meaning we're looking at if 454 is you know let's say 454 BC is when that starting point of Daniel's prophecy was, and you add the extension of the punishment for them killing Messiah, it's at around 2031. Which means in the sometime this decade. If this is correct, expect some pretty gnarly, can I use that word, activity happening in the Middle East, and especially as it concerns the people of Israel. But a a telltale is once someone arrives in the scene in power in the Middle East, and the king and the sacrifice, so the sacrifice will be going on, is given to this king, and ultimately Israel will be destroyed and, and an abomination set up. And all those good things, then that could very well happen this decade. It could very well happen this decade. So here is my kind of putting it all together. I wish I can just give you this chart and just saying, well, here's kind of the vision and trying to put it you know, put some good information on there, but hopefully it depicts kind of when will the seventieth weekend. So if we started at 454 B.C. as the starting point of the 70-week prophecy, again, that's Artaxerxes Leguminus, 20th year, and we use that as a starting point. From, From 454 to 30 A.D. is the 69 weeks. Remember, that was carved out of history. That was completed from the time of that decree and then ultimately the cutting off Messiah and the covenant ceremony. So the 69 weeks of the 70 weeks was completed at 30 A.D., But as you see here, and I said this, Israel's extended wilderness happened after that. And that's where the church age, which was a mystery that wasn't revealed um, until the writings of the New Testament, that because of Israel's extended wilderness, God in turn gave birth and inaugurated the church age in which the gospel is bearing fruit. And that's been happening since 30 AD, or you can even say uh, 27 when Christ began his ministry from then on, the gospel began bearing fruit since 30 AD. But in that 70th week, towards the latter part of this timeline, it says a king will arise, wage war, and destroy Jerusalem, and its sanctuary make desolate. And at the completion of that 70th week, and that takes us to about 2031, if, this, if the calculations are correct, punishment will be ended, Israel repents, Messiah atones for their sin, and ushers in everlasting righteousness then the Messiah's kingdom can come on earth. And from 454 to 20, 454 BC to 2031, it was, there was 25, 20 years or 907,200 days was added to Israel's punishment for their unbelief and killing Messiah. Now, if you're asking me, why did you start at 454 BC and not at 30 AD? Again, if you look at the Numbers 14 uh, account, that we went through earlier uh, for the 40 days that the spies went to spy out the land and God in turn punished them for for 40 years. The 40 years in the wilderness started from the time they left Egypt in the Exodus. So the 454 BC, you can say that because it had all of the elements to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the exile for them to go back to Jerusalem began, which is why that was the starting point of adding to the clock so all that has to say Daniel's 70th week it's not something that's arbitrary it's something that God in his timetable he just pushed it back so instead of saving them in 37 AD he instead pushed that out and added to their punishment and instead he actually destroyed them in AD 70 but then because he has to bring their punishment to an end he brought them back to their land in 1948, and they were reborn as a nation, and they've been there ever since, albeit with all the the wars and calamity and what have you. But at the end of those 490 years, taking into account all that, then the 70-week prophecy has come to a completion, and by that time, obviously, the Great Tribulation already happened. That's not included here. You know, the Church does have a part in history. And there is this great tribulation, and that is centered around the time of Israel's destruction as it pertains to the people of Israel. So there's a lot more that's going to happen, but this is really an oversimplified kind of graph of Daniel's 70-week prophecy.
0: Thank you for listening today to the Truth Matters Church podcast. What an amazing adventure through the visions and prophecies of Daniel, and even a little end times fun, if you will, to help keep our eyes focused on the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed coming back and will establish his kingdom on this earth. Now, after four months of in-depth study in Daniel, we've laid the foundation for our expository study in the book of Revelation. With this hard work behind us, Revelation will be so much easier to understand and to interpret correctly. Next week, Pastor Alex recaps what we've learned in Daniel, and then we open up the book of Revelation, chapter 1. If you haven't already, please be sure to mark us as a favorite or subscribe to this podcast and connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith, one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.